Rollback, the podcast that talks about solutions to problems. We're on vacation right now. <laughs> Is that what you wanted, Kristen? The least vacation-y vacation. <laughs> oh yeah, like should we should we tell people about what we're up to? But anyways, maybe later. Uh, hello, listener. <laughs> If this is the first episode you're ever tuning in on, this is vacation episode. We do book club. I speak words. (laughs) She speaks them so well. (laughs) Listen, Kristen, one of the biggest problems that the left has today is in reaching people in understandable ways because all of the problems that we experience are so nuanced and the left really sees all of that. But if I can speak monosyllabically and still get all of our ideas across, then maybe that will help the cause. Okay. Yeah, apparently I heard a thing recently that like uh, some academics studied the relationship between like the ideology of football hooligans and like how people vote. And football hooligans, like, they play a big role. So, you know, your strategy will help to reach them. (laughs) (laughs) What I'm saying is, like, who's reaching out to the football hooligans? Or I guess in Canada, the, like, (laughs) hockey bros or whatever. (laughs) I've dated so many hockey bros. I can't even. (laughs) Some of my favorites were hockey bros. Um, Although my absolute favorite was an actor. So... But this is not what this episode is about. (laughs) I'm here with my co-host, Kristen Pugh. Did I say that? I Listen, we're on vacation. We read this wonderful book. Uh, I'm sitting here with one of my best friends, and we're about to chat about it. And the last two book episodes we did were for the Patreon, so they were much looser. And now I I can't be helped. It's out now. I can't. I can't be professional in one of these. And it's also a good feeling. We're going to be way tamer here, obviously, than on the Patreon. So if people like this sort of rambling nonsense, there's more of it there. <laughs> Fine, Kristen, tell us, what is this book about? Okay. Um, so this is called The Age of Insecurity. It's by Astra Taylor, um, who is an activist and has also put together some documentaries. Um, and what's, I think, really interesting about this book is it was actually written as as a lecture, um, and they just published it as a book. So it's, it's good can con, you know, oftentimes when we read books from left-wing perspectives on like political economy and things like that, they are, you know, either American or global in focus. And like this one does talk about the States a lot, but, um, it's one of the few books out there where you're sort of getting these kinds of perspectives, but they throw in some Canadian data and it like is coming from a Canadian perspective. So that's nice. And it came out in October 2023, so we're our fingers on the pulse for the first time ever. The last book we read for the Patreon, I think, uh, oh, it, it the first book we read for the Patreon was Ishmael, which is like 30 years old. <laughs> so it's nice to be reading a book that like, we're probably some of the first people to review it properly, you know? Yeah, I think that's cool. Um, and also, I guess I sh- we should probably shout out Mary for suggesting this to us. So thank you, Mary. <laughs> It's a great book. Loved it. Thank you, Mary. (laughs) (laughs) So um, this book, it is about, it's about insecurity, as the title would suggest. Um, But basically, the argument that Astra Taylor is making is there's some like insecurity that is existential. And it's baked into the fact that we're in these like vulnerable meat sacks, and we live in societies and in a world where things are dangerous. Um, But there's a lot of insecurity that is what she calls manufactured insecurity. 
she points to this sort of problem in society where we've really individualized how we deal with insecurity. It's really seen as something that's a personal responsibility. Even things like the stoicism movement, which is sort of like this very popular way of sort of like being chill about life. Even perspectives like that are problematic because they really individualize security um, and they ignore this sort of like manufactured insecurity that we need to resolve collectively. So the book is a call to take on that collective perspective of insecurity and to push for sort of a return of public systems that help to collectivize risks in ways that improve the material well-being of people. Um, She also talks about Montessori schools. (laughs) It's not as on board with that, but the rest of the book is fantastic. And I would just like for the listener to know that Kristen said all of that, like, off the cuff. She hasn't prepared (laughs) anything. She's literally just coming up with that great of a description for this book, like, on the go. (laughs) Oh, thanks. (laughs) Natural storyteller. Yeah, I really liked it. You suggested it. I think you really liked the beginning as well, because I think you recommended it to me like near the beginning. Yeah, like two pages in, I was like this. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And I thought it was and I thought it was really good, like the whole way through. Like I would still put this, I, w- I would say is my third favorite book we've done on the show, maybe fourth favorite book that we've done on the show. So it's like, it's up there. But we've also done some really good books on this show. So <laughs> what are your top two? I'm very curious. Oh, uh, Less is More and The Nutmeg's Curse. Ah, those were going to be mine as well. They were very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, so like while I loved this book, it felt like because we've read The Nutmeg's Curse and Less is More and also Naomi Klein's uh, gargantuan tome, it felt like all of these ideas weren't necessarily new to me. But I also appreciated the way that she tied together a bunch of ideas that each of those other books touch on in a different way. And like, there can never be too much writing on the left because that's what the right has done. I'm reading Dark Money right now and I'm like, oh my God, we need more left-wing books. So like that being said, yes. But if you only have time for one book of those three, I would still recommend like Less is More or The Nutmeg's Curse. But I really liked this book. Yeah. One thing I did really like about this book, because you're right that some of the same themes are also covered in Less is More. But one of the things I really liked about this book, in addition to the CanCon, which I always appreciate, um, is she sort of walks through different facets of our life and really talks about how insecurity, it's not only sort of something that affects people we might think of as being vulnerable or at sort of like the bottom end of the income spectrum, that that insecurity really sucks for everybody. um, And it makes everybody feel strained. And I think just like in the the context that we're in right now with sort of oligopolistic inflation kicking everybody in the shins and everybody's sort of feeling like they're falling behind and debts are rising. Um, I think that sort of idea that you can speak to everybody by making this argument that doesn't it really suck how if one small setback happens, like you could lose everything. I think that was really persuasive. Um, and I like that she brought in Kafka. <laughs> Yeah, the whole like back third of the book is just like Kafka stories, uh, which I I really liked that too, because none of the other books that we've read have really touched on Kafka. Like they've talked around it, but they've never just like been like, oh, and this specific story and this specific instance, like the last chapter is called like escape or the second to last chapter is called escaping the burrow, which is like 
a title she chose because of a Kafka story. So like, <laughs> yeah, I also like, I really enjoyed the reframing of the enclosure movement. Cause I mean, we've talked about this certainly on the Patreon, but probably also on the show before this idea that sort of like, we're still living out the consequences of like a bunch of wealthy people deciding to sort of enclose what were common spaces over a long period of time starting in Europe, but then really taking place in a more extreme way in the colonies as well. And so she talks about that in a persuasive way by bringing in this sort of side of the like Magna Carta struggle that we don't talk about a lot, which is sort of like how the peasants were also revolting, not against taxes, but were actually revolting for access to the forests, um, which they used to sort of meet their livelihoods. Um, And she poses a really good question, I think, which is, we really need to think when we're framing stories like this, like, are we barons or are we commoners? And I mean, I think we can actually have a fascinating discussion about that. But (laughs) (laughs) really? (laughs) Yeah. uh, Because in many ways, I do think sort of like the middle and upper middle class in like, uh, wealthy countries are sort of like mini feudal lords these days. Um, And you can just think of like an Uber Eats order as an example of that. But that wasn't what she meant. What she meant was like most people conceive of themselves as commoners and we ought to sort of frame struggles from the perspective of what commoners have really fought for throughout society, not through this sort of like really well-told story of a tax revolt that was fundamentally like a fight between a bunch of elites. The real fight with the peasants that was happening when sort of the whole Magna Carta thing um, that like Robin Hood stories based on was developed. It was really about access to the commons, and we're really seeing that continue to be eroded in society today. Anyway. (laughs) This might be moving off topic, but I also really liked the way that she, you mentioned this earlier, but the fact that, you know, the barons nowadays aren't even secure. Like, not only do we not conceive of ourselves as commoners because we conceive of ourselves instead as soon-to-be barons, like, we still have this idea that, like, upward mobility is going to happen for you know, if not everybody, then at least me, right? How very 1990s of you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like, so people vote to lower taxes on the rich or whatever, because they expect to be rich one day. I don't think that's true as much nowadays. But I actually like, I don't know, I haven't really looked into it. But it's I think it's more of an American phenomenon than a Canadian one. Like things like wealth taxes are very popular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another thing that I thought was like an interesting dimension of the book, because she really thinks about different angles of insecurity. So I found that really helpful. Um, But one of the things that she's talking about is bringing in sort of like, sort of like a big sociological theory called postmodernism. And it, academics have many debates about this one, but, (laughs) but I think it's a really useful point that she made. You saw coinciding with sort of like an increased level of material security that was a result of like a lot of the post-war welfare state and like, you know, regulatory advances that were made in the post-war context. But those things advanced material security, and they also created more space for society to think through things differently. And that led to some kooky stuff, but it also led to a lot of really important progress. Um, And one of the arguments that she's making is when people's material security erodes, it's not necessarily the case that that sort of like constrains the imagination because people can also kind of realize that they're fucked and um, that can sort of spur another movement. But it does put people in more of a domain of sort of fear and preserving, and that can be very fertile ground for things like fascism. 
So I thought that that was like an interesting dimension to bring in. It's a challenging one for sure. Yeah. I don't know. It was really weird to read this book. You know, the whole thing is talking about how, you know, the advertising industry is set up to make us feel shitty about ourselves, which is then like it's which is, I mean, not a new idea. I thought people listening will be like, that's not groundbreaking. But the way that she talks about it and the way that it like interweaves into every aspect of the way that we structure our society is just like a bit of a, a mind bend. I haven't felt secure in like years, right? Like I have had really like unstable housing situations. Even when I was a kid, I didn't really ever feel like my housing was terribly, like my home was terribly stable just for like reasons. And Kristen, I think felt the same way in a lot of the cases that like when we were kids, it just didn't, it wasn't always the safest emotionally to be in our spaces. And then when I was in my 20s, I kind of went on this self-imposed like insecurity <laughs> like journey where I just traveled for five years and lived out of a backpack. And then I came back home and it was like October 2019. And I was like, OK, great. Like now I'm going to get an apartment in Vancouver and I'll make friends and I'll get a job. I had a job I liked. And then we had a pandemic happen. And now suddenly my self-imposed insecurity of my 20s, I didn't get to like recover from that. And I had to move like four times in four years because of the pandemic. And I'm reading this book in my bathtub after having lived in this apartment for like seven months, knowing that I'm going to be here for a long time. And I can just feel like this stress washing off my body. She talks about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And I just, I'm reading it in the tub today. And, and I'm like, man, I should like be the sort of person who's always had my needs kind of met. And I don't feel like I ever have. But then you're like, I don't know, thinking about other people. And it's just, and then it becomes that individualizing where it's like, no, no, no. Like you can have problems and still care about other people's problems. That's the whole point. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. That's why you collectivize our response to insecurity instead of like treating it as a moral failure or like a an individual situation, like the mole in Kafka's story, who's like <laughs> building his burrow and he ends up isolating himself from society. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I thought that was a really good point. So you're right. It, this book, there's nothing in this book that is completely new, but what I think it does really well is it brings together a cohesive narrative that I think explains our age in a very compelling way. And a compelling way that we can actually utilize to, I think, gain ground with wider constituencies. So like we've talked about like the sort of upper middle class, this argument that everybody's insecure, I think can work really well for them. The book talks about this problem that farmers are having, which I had not heard about, but is really messed up. A lot of farmers are going into debt and having to like, basically, they end up selling the land and like renting it out which is basically just feudalism. It's just feudalism <laughs> reinvented. And it's, you know, it's really squeezing people. And so I think like you can speak to all these different constituencies through this narrative. And that's really useful. Although I might be influenced because I've been, um, I've been watching for all mankind. And <laughs> uh, I don't know, if, I don't know if you know this, this show, Kyla. I, okay, so what, here I have not watched it. But what I know about this show as somebody who's seen like maybe two trailers for it, I think it's about the USSR American space race in like the 1960s, except Russia lands on the moon first and then like hijinks ensue. <laughs> yeah, like it's not really 
about the politics, but they they do a really good job of sort of like painting the political background. Um, and like at the start of the show, it's very similar to what it would have been um, like in later seasons. The changes in the alternate history start to like make have more of an impact. But um, but one of the things that really strikes me watching this show is we had these like cohesive stories um, at that time. Um, and like they were problematic as fuck, but like they were cohesive stories. Um, and I think that like having a story like that gives you something to rally around. Um, and people don't really have that today. At least we we don't have the right might have one. And that's a, that's a problem. But, <laughs> you know, there's not really like a progressive story to rally around today because we're not like we're not solving the existential issue of our time. It's not been made this sort of like grand project that we can do together. And so maybe collectively addressing the insecurities that we all feel in our lives can be that story that we tell ourselves and like climate change fits into that, like global politics fit into that, um, economic conditions fit into that. So I like the book for that reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, I really like that you put it that way. Uh, I, I mean, like I said, it's like the third best book that we've read for this show, in my personal opinion. And we've read a lot of amazing books. So like, high praise all around, but I hadn't really considered it that way as like being, because like, that's what Donut Economics tried to do. And uh, one of the, and like, I liked it, but as you rightly pointed out on that episode, it's just a little too complex, you know? Like, <laughs> insecurity is one word, and everybody knows what it means viscerally. And it is something that we can all relate to. And it does make a really good cohesive story. And not only for us, but like there's a whole chapter that starts talking about giving personhood to uh, nature, which, yeah, yeah, we're like, we're hugely <laughs> in favor of give personhood to nature. And then suddenly you have to look at the insecurity of nature if you're going to be tackling insecurity, the concept, right? So good job, Kristen. Five stars. <laughs> I mean, good job, Astra Taylor. Five stars. <laughs> <laughs> That chapter was really compelling on the rights of nature because for me, it really embedded how wide ranging this narrative really was that it could speak not only to like, I mean, they talk about like um, the criminalization of debt in one chapter. She talks about like education and conformity, which again was not like, I'm maybe I'm too much of a prude, but like. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Tell, okay. Let's talk about, let's talk about that chapter. Let, I, let's sit down. Let's, I'm interrupting you right here. Let's do it. Yeah. Tell me, what did you think about the chapter on like the education system? Cause she started, that was the most memoiry part of the book I would say is where she starts by explaining like how, what her grandmother's schooling was like, then what her mother's schooling was like, and then what her schooling was like. And it, it's very hippie-esque uh, the whole way through. And Kristen has thoughts. <laughs> well, okay. I don't know. My thoughts come in two forms. Um, the first one is, were I an editor, I probably would have told her to cut that because I don't know. I, I hate it when authors throw in like a half-assed memoiry section in a book that's not really about that. But I'm also like arguably dead inside. So <laughs> maybe not the audience for it. I don't know. <laughs> Give me the numbers. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> make this book drier. <laughs> I need footnotes. I need footnotes. She had lots of those. That was great. But uh, <laughs> yeah, there were so many footnotes. <laughs> but so that was my first kind of objection to it was I was like, I don't need to read about your grandma. That's not what this book is. Like, I found the argument interesting. I was like less on board. You know what? Like people just politely nod because they're like, I don't actually disagree with this, but I also am not fully in agreement. 
that's how I felt about the education chapter. Okay. So like I, when I was reading that chapter, what I kind of, first of all, I, I did, I also did not find it the most compelling. I think there's a reason that it was in the center of the book. Uh, and also I felt that the book could have been shorter and yes, that was the thing that could have gone. But the argument that she was making was essentially that there isn't enough curiosity in school and that children are taught to hate school either by being given a stick as punishment uh, in order to do their work or by being given like a carrot where their entire self-worth is like reliant on whether people think that they're smart or not, which I think you and I might relate to. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I certainly think the education system could be improved. I don't disagree with that. And I think like adding more curiosity to it is a part of that. That said, I loved school. School was great for me. (laughs) (laughs) I did not feel that kind of pressure. Uh, I don't know. (laughs) I felt lots of opportunities to experience curiosity. So I think like it just didn't really jive with my personal experience. But in theory, yeah, more curiosity is good. This is why like I would have politely nodded where she making this argument to me in person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like maybe maybe we went to a particularly good school, right? Like I didn't go to an... <laughs> Look, okay, I'm not, that wasn't the argument I was making. I was just going to say it was a well-funded school. It was, it was. In a well-funded city, you know, in the oil province in the early aughts. Yeah, it was the time when like Alberta was competing with Finland for some of the top test scores. So it was probably pretty good. Yeah. So, so like from our experience, like I think maybe school actually just was better than it is for a lot of other people. I wouldn't know uh, because I only went to that one high school and then I went to the same school from grade four to grade nine, which was also a well-funded, you know, school in the oil belt. So (laughs) yes, what I really liked about that chapter was how she really lent on indigenous ways of knowledge and teaching and how that was kind of crushed out of like the indigenous population in Canada and the United States and globally, essentially, but especially in Canada. And she used her grandmother's story to kind of tie that like together or her mother's story, was it? Um, no, it was her grandmother's story. So it was a residential school. Then it turned into like this free thinking sort of like the students and the teachers are equals and they all democratically run the school together. And she made a really good point of being like, it's kind of ironic, is it not, that like the school that came after the residential school was kind of trying to emulate indigenous ways of teaching, which is to lead with respect and understanding and curiosity and to never finish learning. Like, like the elders are like the first people to be like, I don't know everything. I'm constantly learning new things, you know, and that education should be free, available to everybody and like a lifelong pursuit instead of like a place where you lock children (laughs) through puberty because they're too much to deal with. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing I don't I don't disagree with that. I thought that it was really interesting how she tied in the like the residential school history um to make sort of like a a positive point about indigenous ways of knowing. There was a lot to like in that chapter. I just ultimately I think she's way too into the 60s in comparison to me. Or actually I should rephrase that. <laughs> um it's just I feel like I'm not into the 60s as much as she was. <laughs> <laughs> I love the 60s. I love that. I love like reading about it. I think it's a fascinating time. Everybody was just spiking stuff with LSD. It was a weird time. <laughs> I'm constantly not sober, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I really resonate with the hippies of the past. I've got like a tarot deck out. Like I've got like dried flowers hanging from everywhere. It's very charming. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, great. Do we have any final thoughts on this book? Little, this is just a little, like, the Patreon episodes are longer because we get more unhinged. Um, so if people like this and you want more of it, please go to our Patreon. But otherwise, I think I'm done with, I've, I've said all my piece about this book. It was very good. Would recommend to avid readers, to light readers, I would recommend less is more. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think read them together. Read them one after the other. That would be a nice experience. And you'd come away feeling... Both angry and hopeful, which is, I think, always what you should aim for in a nonfiction book. First anger, then hope. That's Those are the emotional peaks to hit. Unless you're doing a memoir, then maybe a, a more complicated tapestry of human emotions. <laughs> <laughs> I I want to, for the Patreon, I think, Kristen, I want to make you read like a, like a nonfiction book. Like a, no, wait, not that. Strike that. Reverse it. I want to make you read a fiction book. Uh, <laughs> because there's a lot of really fun fiction that I've been reading lately, like listening to, I've been like speed listening to a ton of books. And there's a, a series called the Wayward Children series, which is just about children who go off into distant lands and then come home and it's told like fairy tales and it's very charming. And there's a particular book that I want to read that I think, cause we could make like capitalist commentary about it, but also it'd just be charming to read something that is like... <laughs> imaginative. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I mean, we were going to do spin at some point, but um, we can do other ones as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, well, the Wayward Children series is very short and the audiobooks are like five hours long. So we should do those. But spin is also like very good. We both already read it. Like I've read it two or three times. So that'll be coming soon as well. We could also do the foundation series. I have been in deep re-listening uh, mode. <laughs> problematic as hell, but the man can tell a story. Yeah, I've been really struggling. I So I'm trying to read them in like chronological order, like from the time, like for, for like the, chronolo the chronology of the books. So I'm on prelude to foundation right now, which is like, so I'm, it was, I started it as my foundation reread journey, but I've never read prelude to foundation. So it's a first go over for that one. And it's so boring. I cannot, I've been, it's been on my shelf, like half read for like a year and I'll read a chapter like a week. And it's just, I, I don't, I I remember really liking the foundation books and I'm trying to power through it. <laughs> yeah, you know, I had also not read that one until this year. Um, I listened to it while I was in COVID quarantine on that like disastrous vacation <laughs> over the summer. <laughs> oh, the one, the one where we went to Port Hardy and you had COVID like the whole time. Listening to many hours of that book uh, because I had nothing else to do, so... <laughs> Um, but I, it picks up after a while. It's not not as good as I don't think the rest of them. Okay, good. That's good. To, that's good. I, I will get through it. I want to watch the show, but I want to read the books first because I don't think I'll read them again after I've seen the show because I never do. <laughs> it's fair. It's fair. Okay, bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. Uh, the real show is different. You should check out a real episode with a real guest that talks about these amazing ideas that or you, or you could read The Age of Insecurity. Okay, thanks. I, I mean, if you did like the book club episodes, we have some of those in our back catalog as well. But, you know, if you're a new listener, some of our top episodes, we do one on critical race theory where we're really looking into sort of what it is, because oftentimes when critical race theory is covered in the news, it, they don't talk about what it actually is. So we get an expert on the show to talk about that. We also have one where we shit on carbon offsets for like an hour. Uh, oh, yeah, that's that's a classic. <laughs> that's an older one, too. That's like before we re, we redid the show format. So, yeah. Do you do you have a favorite? Do I have a favorite episode? 
Kristen, we've made so many episodes at this point that I struggle to remember any of them sometimes. <laughs> People will be like, what's the show about? And I'm like, oh, let me name a single episode. Uh, but a favorite, ep- you know what? It's, <laughs> I think my favorite episode is like our very first Christmas episode because we had to, we had to record it like three times. And I, and I took all, it was like two, it was just two really, but they were, it was like really long both times. We talked for like an hour and 45 minutes. So I had to cut them down. And then there were some like parts of the first recording that were just better than like in our second recording. So I like Frankenstein stitched it together. It took me like 25 hours to edit that episode. And like, now editing has just been so easy since then. And it's just, it's a fun episode where like you take a bite out of like a cookie that I sent you and it makes, it makes me laugh until I cry on the episode. And then I still <laughs> laugh out loud when I listen to it because so maybe not the best example for like people to actually go listen to, but my own personal favorite, that's the one. <laughs> You're like, mmm, good cookie. <laughs> This cookie has been in the post for weeks. <laughs> I like baked them from scratch. I did not air airtight seal them at all. Was, it felt like a prank, <laughs> but I was, but it was so sincere. Like, I did not mean for it to go that badly. You know what? You didn't give me food poisoning, so it's all good. Yeah. What about you? What's your favorite episode? Weirdly, cultured meat. Really? I just think that was such an interesting topic because it's like on the sly about immortality. And <laughs> who would guess that? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that is a good one. That's a really good one. Yeah, any of the ones where Robbie's with us are always fun. Yeah, yeah, true. I still really like the sugar episode. If you want to go way back into our back catalog, I think actually we re-released that one. And so like you've got like an editor's like new <laughs> cut from before I went like now I know how to do stuff. So yeah, the sugar, the sugar remake, I think I really liked. I liked Seaspiracy. Seaspiracy. Oh, Seaspiracy, an oldie but a goodie. From since we reformatted the episodes and like went with a new focus, um, I really enjoyed our Land Back episode. Oh, yeah, that's a great Yeah, it's yeah. a good one. Um, and also like the Effective Altruism episode I thought was uh, a good time. Did we have a guest for that no, one? Was yeah, us. that was just us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that was a fun. I I should re-listen to that one. I honestly, I, I'm here for them. And then I edit them and then I listen to them after they come out. But if you ask me for the content of a single episode, I'd be like, I don't know. I've never heard it before. <laughs> like, <laughs> I know. I remember when we were first starting out, the first three or four episodes, I would like listen to a cut that you did beforehand and then I would listen to it on the day. Uh, so like I'd experienced the content like three times, which must be what it's like for you editing every single time. But now it's like, I mostly listen to our episodes uh, when they come out, but like definitely not beforehand. <laughs> Kristen, I actually, I have, I have something to admit to you. I haven't listened to a single episode from last season on the actual player yet. Like I obviously listened when I edited, but I'm way behind on my podcasts because I've been like listening to so many audiobooks. but I'm almost caught up on my wait list at the library. So I only have four more books that are coming to me. I have to finish one and then I'm going back to listening to podcasts. So I'm going to be listening to last season's episodes like in a month. <laughs> I like it. I like it. <laughs> So I, it'll actually be nice because it'll be fresh for me as opposed to like when I listen right after I've edited, you know? Yeah. Oh, you know what else I'll say about our older, like about our other episodes? Uh, the Zoos episode, I don't think got as much love as it deserved because I found it a really interesting conversation. But I think in general, listeners are kind of like squeamish about any animal rights ones that we do, which is fair. It's like a gruesome topic. 
But the Zeus one is not like that at all. Um, and you get to hear like a very charismatic, but also cranky professor talk about it. So. <laughs> <laughs> Albrecht was the best. <laughs> it's fun because like, I I mean, I, I do probably, I mean, I don't think I did any of the episodes. No, that's not true. I did one or two episodes. I don't know. I haven't listened to the last season. I don't know how many were I was in charge of. But like for sure I was in charge of the Zoos episode and I was in charge of some like the ones that I'm in charge of are always a little bit more erratic. <laughs> like Kyla, what's the point of this conversation? And I'm like, I don't know. I'll figure it out halfway through. <laughs> and I felt like that's kind of what happened with the Zoos one where I didn't know what to expect from the conversation. And so he started out by being like, I don't know about these questions. <laughs> Like it ended up like it was okay in the end, but I was really insecure about it the whole time. And I haven't listened to it yet. <laughs> no, I really enjoyed the episode. Uh, I enjoyed the conversation while we were having it. I enjoyed the expose on Laurentian University. Like that was some hot goss. <laughs> we're going to do another book club episode in March. So, you know, keep an eye out for that or head to our Patreon where next week we'll be talking about maybe big friendship. But also, maybe we'll change our minds at the last minute. Okay, bye. <laughs> That's our prerogative. <laughs> <laughs>